Gentlemen and ladies, boys and girls, take your seats because this is another episode of Pounding the Table. And guess what, folks? We have a lead sponsor that we are very excited about. Huge for Pounding the Table. We want to announce that StockTwits is our new lead sponsor through the end of the year at a very bare minimum. So I know, Tony, you're super excited about this. And, and we're genuinely friends with the StockTwits team and StockTwits communities. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I used to go on there all the time when I was like younger, just before anything was really going on in the FinTwit community at all. And it was really cool to see like you could get a good gauge for behavioral sentiment and everything on there. And especially with their like trending tickers every week, I think that's always a place that I look at just to check out what's really moving in the markets. And honestly, I'm just going to start it off and mention some of the cool names that have been trending in the last week, just because I think it's going to go really nicely into the rest of our show. And I know you want to talk about crypto, obviously. So you can see here that Hood just announced, uh, Robinhood announced crypto wallets. So that's going to be massive because I used to like dollar cost average buy some crypto on Robinhood. And I know a lot of other people who do. And now you can actually have a wallet on there. So those people who all have crypto stuck in their Robinhood are now going to be the NFT degenerates that everyone knows and loves, like myself. And so there's no doubt in my mind that that's just going to like propel the market higher and higher. Um, and then Twitter, and I'm sure people have seen this news, Twitter was buzzing on the top trending tickers list on StockTwits too, because of their tipping feature in Bitcoin and NFT verification for your avatar, for your profile picture. So that's going to be huge because everyone can copy if they, this is like, you know how people, and this can start a combo lobby. People will go on and they'll say, oh, why can't I just right click save this? Well, you can't anymore. You couldn't before, but if you didn't understand, now you definitely can't because Twitter's not going to let you right click save it because I'm going to have it verified on my address and in my wallet on the chain. And you're going to know that that lion, that lazy lion is mine or that board ape is mine. And it's going to be no chance for someone to copy, paste, click and use it as another one. So that's very cool. So love that they're trending tickers because those are two things I'm watching for next week naturally. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. Tony, we're going to get into a little bit of crypto here in just a second. We have Chris Peruna coming on here as a guest as well, which I'm super excited. So we will talk stocks because the majority of people still obviously come here for stock talk. But yeah, we're getting a little weird here. We're doing some NFT and some crypto and all of that stuff. So apart from the fact there's millions of people on there and everyone's talking about stock and crypto and whatever other asset ideas on there, and you can see what's trending. So you can Ride the hype train if you want to see what Wall Street Vets is pumping that day or whatever it might be, or if you just want to find some cool news that you might have missed in the markets. But what I really like is that you can create watch lists and see the performance of them track over time from when you add them to that watch list. So it's very cool. And you can see social data around at the same time. So just like when you go on Twitter and you type like a cash tag in that name, you get a bunch of random things. A lot of the time it's just like bots and stuff as well. But here you can see what individual people have written about that stock or the news that came up. Mm -hmm. And then you can connect your portfolio to track your investments in one place. So that's very cool because like how Twitter is verifying your NFT avatars, StockTwits is verifying your portfolio. So like people have like rooms on there where they also like discuss their entries, exits or like research on stocks. So you can actually see how they're doing instead of everyone just saying I did 800% last year. You can actually know if they did or not which is very cool. And of course, like they have a bunch of other stuff like the stocks, like the daily rip and they do spaces, which we'll be doing with them as well. So 
it's definitely like a nice little partnership we have going here. Go check out the website, of course, stocktwits.com uh, or just download the app. It's obviously on iPhone. And even for me, I got the Android app, man. So I'm, I'm super excited about that as well. So beyond stocks, obviously it's called Stock Twits and we are a stock podcast, Tony, but like are you a stock guy anymore? You, you've started to come into like metaverse, Tony, your NFT, Tony. Like I can't even talk to you about stocks anymore. What, what the fuck's going on? Like you, you're talking about a bunch of random like Tamagotchi type shit. So what, yeah. what's popping off, dude? Well, I just got to start and preface this by saying Pokemon is the number one grossing franchise of all time. So you can say what you want about like games and like video games and like like think about like RuneScape. Like if you didn't play RuneScape or Club Penguin or Sims or any of those things, then you don't understand this. But your kids do. Your kids are buying Fortnite skins for no reason other than the way that they look, right? So it's this visual acuity that people have this visual desire. Like they have this tendency to like things that they see. And so apart from the fact of that, like everyone is moving into this space. So I'm not a stock guy. I'm not a bonds guy. I'm not a macro. I'm not a SPAC guy. I'm an investor in whatever makes me the most money at the time. And if you're doing anything other than that, you're fraud. Like, I really don't like the people like kind of crapping on other people investing in this stuff because they don't understand it. If you don't like this space, it's because you don't understand it. Because at some point you will be all your sports passes will be NFTs. Like you go to the store, you'll probably have like instead of a, a store credit card, you'll have like a store NFT that gives you X collected points on there that you can buy in store every month. That is happening. No matter, You think your Xbox gold pass is not going to be an NFT? You're wrong. It will all be an NFT. Every single thing that you have that can be in your possession will be your house's deed will be an NFT. Your car's title will be an NFT. And you will have no choice but to succumb to the world that is not fiat, but it is crypto. And there is no doubt in my mind. And that's why I've been in crypto since 2017. And only like the last three months have I been really aping into stuff nonstop. But I think people are completely misinterpreting what this is. It's not about the JPEGs, even though the JPEGs is all it's about. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think it's interesting too, because my, my dad, I, we talk about crypto and crypto is like kind of the almost NFT version 1.0. This is all in the blockchain, right? In terms of how I view this. And my dad's like, hey, great. Have a good time with these Tamagotchis, with these Pokemon, et cetera. And sure enough, like he's looking to be wrong here, you know? And, and then like even myself, right? Like I'm joking and clowning on you guys like, hey, keep buying all these cartoons. But then you're like, hey, I made six figures on this. I'm like, okay, I'll shut that yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I mean, and, and that's the thing, like people were laughing at the lazy lions. Shout out to Tomas Colson again for getting me into those, but I made six figures on lazy lions. So that's the thing that I don't understand what people are hating on it. Like if there is money to be made and you're hating on it because you don't understand it, then you should reevaluate. Like if you can consider yourself an art enthusiast and you think the Mona Lisa is priceless and you don't like NFTs and you don't comprehend it, you are completely wrong. There is a, there's not a question in my mind because why is the Mona Lisa priceless? Why is a Picasso priceless? Why is a Van Gogh whatever it's worth? Why? Because we say it is. And if you think that NFTs are all Ponzi criminal art crap, then think about the fact that all the rich simply just use art as either a tax like evasive maneuver where they can literally donate their art to museums and have that be written off over X number of years to never have to pay taxes or you launder money through art as well. But that's not to say that everyone buys art to launder money. I'm just saying that there's a billion ways to do it, that the whole world is a Ponzi. The U.S. dollar is a Ponzi. 35% of them got printed in the last 12 months. Enjoy your $15 gallon of milk, right? Mm. Like you go try to buy a house. You can't because Zillow goes and finds every single thing that I'm looking at, that you're looking at, that every listener is looking at, 
Then they go and they buy a hundred homes in the area for, let's say they buy a hundred homes for 500,000. Then they buy this hundred, the 501st home for 600,000. Well, they just made a hundred thousand on every single home because they cornered the market. And so if you played RuneScape and you know about the grand exchange and you know about wrecking kids in the wildy on the grand exchange and just making literally millions of gold in RuneScape, that's what the world is. It's just, instead of the big institutions screwing us, we get to do it to each other. And yeah. instead of screwing each other, we're all trying to make it. It's a very, very different situation that people don't comprehend that we are the ones with power. Like, why can I stake my Ethereum, which is when you put it on exchange and you get interest on it? It's the same thing as me putting cash in a bank, except the bank's not going to, like, I can only put it in a bank and every bank's the same. So I get 0.7% APY yield versus I get like 80% in crypto. Why? Because we're so freaking early. Yeah. Eventually, it'll be 1%. And I think what's funny, right? And we were talking about this before we started recording. I came out firing. I'm like, this is so stupid. It's a cartoon. And then you're like, all right, Avi, what's the stock? I'm like, there's some fundamentals there behind it. Bro, you don't even own your stock. Just really just jump in. You don't own your stock. Your stock is an IOU from another company that owns your shares. And that's through a broker that's going through another exchange that's through you. And you own that IOU in your account. You don't even own the shares that people are like, oh, I own my shares. I'm passively earning dividends. No, you're not. They're letting you get dividends from the shares that you don't even own physically until every stock is blockchain, which it will be. It will all be an NFT. Sorry, continue, Avi. I don't know. Well, to push back, because I, I like, like we, we, by the way, guys, usually we write out these bullet points of what we want to talk about. Tonight, we just said, like, whatever, let's just rock. No script, nothing. So I'm going to ask questions authentically here, too. Like, you say this about these stocks, but they do have fundamentals, right? They do have an actual company behind it, right? Like Apple's not going to go away. Some cartoon possibly could go away. So the first thing I want to say is that people think crypto has no value. Incorrect. Because the only reason that Amazon has value is because we use it. The only reason Apple has value is because we use it. We use Ethereum. I mean, like maybe the people listening, maybe the majority don't, but you will. And if you're listening, you probably hopefully have listened to me already and do from when it was 300 pound the table on that. Now it's a 10 bagger and everyone's using it every day. And ETH is going to go to 100. Yeah, that soon. was probably our best call. Like secretly, yeah. <laughs> what was Bitcoin at when we were like, yeah, this it. it was like nine. Yeah. I mean, I posted it. I was like, 10, it's breaking over 10,000. It's going to moon. And I went yeah. to 60K. Ethereum broke over 300 and then it moved. It went to 4K. I'm, I'm because, bullish Bitcoin again because no one's talking about it. I, th- I think it's weird. I, I would be bullish Bitcoin if I didn't like dive 80 layers into this and realize like there's so many other, pro- like I'll tell you, and we'll talk about this too. Like shout out to like Cray Crypto, Zach French, all these guys who are helping me in the NFT space because I'm, in, I'm no expert by any means. I'm just like, I jump into stuff as fast as I can. I just, I throw money at stuff and if it sticks, I stay and I learn more. That's the way I always have operated. Like Pokemon cards, Logan Paul was opening packs. I bought a ton of Pokemon cards, made like 10x my investment. Same thing with like all these like JPEGs and whatever. You have to you have to leap and then learn about what you're doing because so, so you're going to be late. Because we, we, we leaped into this conversation. We didn't even like, there's probably some listeners like, what are these guys even talking about right now? Very quickly in, in five, 10 seconds, just explain non-fungible or whatever nft i don't even know what the t stands for but yeah token what, it's a token token is yeah. it a big huge pump and dump scheme i made a tweet about this i was joking i was like oh i love the apathetic apes or whatever and and like those are cool today is that because these people own them or like what what makes a community what what makes some cartoon cooler than another cartoon well i mean it's honestly a I've been tweeting about this for months and it's like everything comes down to your brand. So 
the first thing I was getting to this before I get sidetracked because NFTs is a wild web of craziness. Ethereum makes money and we use Ethereum, which is why, first of all, the underlying asset is valuable, period. Because I forget what the like, if you wanted to do like uh, enterprise value to trailing sales or whatever, Ethereum has a better valuation than 90% of the stocks you invest in just because the amount of money that the Ethereum network makes is a ton from people using gas. Ethereum. So first, yeah, through the gas fees, which is the price to do any transaction, this and that. So first of all, there's underlying value and it's it's just because we use it. Like, there's zero reason Amazon's worth anything besides the fact that you get a package every week to your door. We've established that. So Ethereum and Amazon are identical. In fact, Ethereum will be worth way more than Amazon, but I don't care. If you disagree, if people can disagree with Real me. Real quick I'm, on that. So like, because like, Amazon's a company, Ethereum is... I guess in the simplest form of a, a way of payment, right? Like, like it, it's Ethereum is uh, also, I mean, it's also a company. It's like, it's like it when you think that's what, like, that's what gets confusing to me, right? Like it, it's like, there's all these forms of payment. However, like, unless someone accepts that payment, it's worth shit. Like it's not, well, there, but there's also a difference between what it, it, there's proof of stake and then there's proof of work. So proof of stake is what Bitcoin is. That's like the gold, right? A gold standard kind of like Bitcoin is a gold standard. I'm I'm bullish on crypto, so I'm bullish on Bitcoin, but I think Bitcoin's garbage compared to all the other things. Like if you're kind of dabbling into crypto, ETH and Bitcoin are the things to touch, right? Like those are like the the index S P and the NASDAQ. Mom and literally dad think crypto. Like Bitcoin is the DAO. Honestly, it's the DAO because yeah, it's boring crap. And good. Ethereum is the NASDAQ because Ethereum is proof of work. So and it's gonna be moving to proof of stake too, which means that like Proof of stake just means that there is a finite supply of Bitcoin and it'll be mined, I don't know, like the year 21, uh, some, like in the next 50 years, all of it will be mined or whatever. And then there's only going to be that much in circulation. And it'll, it, it has this like locked deflationary kind of thing going to it. So that's why people trade in Satoshis. But in Ethereum, it's basically like you are built, you are working proof of work, like you build apps on top of it. So it's mm -hmm. a decentralized blockchain, which is just basically the next internet. So anything that people are producing now, like all these NFTs are usually through Solana or Ethereum. And I'm very bullish on Solana, pound the table on that since 60, been farming that since 22. Yeah, I but Solana, Solana, yeah, eight, eight, <laughs> eight, I eight, eight Solana. Yeah, you have to. I mean, Solana is the next Ethereum, even if people don't agree, but like it's a trade-off, right? So like, yeah. that's why, I, that's first of all, like that underlying layer of like, there is utility because people use it, period. It doesn't matter anything else you think. That's the fundamental. Well, that, that, that's usage. the biggest point though, dude. Is, is is what is anything right if, if right if you right. use something and someone will accept it that's the simplistic form we all just said what okay cool paper? us dollar us dollar that's we said that's what we're going to use we used to use shells we used to use tulips now we use well, they're backed gold. by the military and they don't give a fuck yeah let's, let's back it by the u.s government <laughs> who's got like a 23 trillion dollar deficit like honestly yeah. like if you if you like logically say it out loud and like you realize how stupid that haters for bitcoin are and crypto in general like it's a joke because if you put it apples to oranges, like fundamentals to fundamentals, the US dollar is a piece of crap compared to like crypto because th there's no debt on crypto. In mm -hmm. fact, you're earning interest like heavily because you can stake it because it's so early that the exchanges don't have enough liquidity. So you can give them liquidity and they pay you to give them liquidity because it's so early. And if that's not like, first of all, a testament to how early we are, like nothing is. And the fact that barely any VC funds are getting in, just the smartest one, like A16Z is aping into crypto projects. Because everything that we have in the real world now, the Amazons of today, the Googles, the Apples will be 
the web three of whatever tomorrow is. And that will happen. And that will be built on Ethereum. So that's why I'm saying like Ethereum is just internet 3.0. For me, it's like tangibility, right? So, and I think for boomers, like, you know, like my parents or people, anyone that's like in politics right now, that's probably the biggest thing on their mind is like, what is this? Like, this is fake. We're not going to let these 19 year olds just grab all these Ferraris and just walk up with this new money, monetary like policy that we've built for years and years just to kind of go play devil's advocate a little bit. Like eventually, do you not feel like people are going to be like, all right, enough of these like bullshit coins, these things that do nothing for me versus the dollar? Because eventually, like I think Sam said this to me, which which I kind of was thinking about it a little bit what what happens if like the military is like eh, your bitcoin shit like these are the dollars this is actually what matters like eventually is that not like factor in what is no what first of all the sec can't even figure out how to make the fed officials not buy or hold stocks index funds municipal bonds like 101 basic if you know anything about finance it's like anyone can go on robin hood and buy these things so like if the, if the SEC and the Federal Reserve and all these guys, the Treasury, cannot figure out how the top officials of financial governance in this country can or cannot hold index funds, index funds, then mm-hmm. there is no way the SEC can quantify the value of my lazy lie. And what the, no, there's not a chance. And maybe if they do in five or 10 years or whatever, we'll be so far past. It's like crypto in 2017. If you were trading exchanges and arbitrage between then, nobody knows. Like, you can do so many things that you can do now that you won't be able to do in the future. It's why I'm like so into it now. The arbitrage, the opportunities are so large that eventually everything becomes mainstream. When you have to buy, like if I want to go to a PSG game, eventually it'll be an NFT. Messi's already doing NFTs for himself. Like all these big art, it doesn't matter what people think. It matters what people do. Because anyone who thinks something will be proven wrong when someone does something else or the majority of people do something else. So no, I don't think everyone is going back to the dollar because when I buy something, I don't say, oh man, I'm spending 30 grand on this crypto or on on this NFT. I'm like, I'm spending 10 ETH. Because one ETH is one ETH. One soul is one soul and one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. And if you're thinking about it in US dollars, then you're not going to make it. Like it's just not. I, I feel like I might be NGMI. Like I, I paid twelve hundred dollars for a cartoon. I, 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 the second I bought it, I'm like, what am? What did I just do? Yeah, you but know, you bought but one of the best ones. It's double. So now I'm yeah. like, if that this is what we were talking about before the show. It's like I hate NFTs. I think they're so stupid. And then like you're like, yeah. By the way, the floor is raised. And I was like, I love NFTs. Yeah. I'm only <laughs> NFT. I'm just gonna keep smiling and like. Well, Really, that's, uh, the the thing, yeah, <laughs> dead fellows are going to like, I mean, dead fellows robot. Like I've been aping into a lot of projects, but, th- but what you said is a great point. Like, I don't believe that people should be throwing tons and tons of their money in this. Like, I, I, and I'm by no means that I put tons and tons of my money in this. I started this with like two or three ETH. I'm just hella good at flipping it. And yeah. so like, I bought a bunch of lazy lions at the floor, like 0.1. I flipped a bunch of like, honestly, mistakes. I should have held all of them but I flipped enough to cover my cost basis, like eight, 10 baggers. And then I kept four or five of the rarest ones. And that's just like my stride for now. But like, I've, that was my first project I ever got into. And so like, that was in August, like, and then look at me now, like not even two months in and I'm, it's all I do 24 seven, I flip stuff. So if you're like one of those people who had a lot of fun playing like MMROPGs or like, there's like, uh, 
how do I say this in like non-nerd terms? Role, uh, <laughs> he's a nerd, by the way. For anyone listening, yeah. like the guy's a nerd. Like I'm the role, cool you, on the podcast. If you play like, like online role-playing games like RuneScape or Club Penguin or any of those things, that you understand, like you, you th- these markets are made out of max, like usually ten thousand things, right? So like, if enough yeah. people like the project, the project takes off. It's a self-sustaining wheel. And what happens? What people don't understand is like, oh, what happens when they come down? No. Once something breaks into a threshold, it gets big enough, it does not come down. Think about apps, the stock apps. Apps got added to the S&P 400 mid cap. People thought it was going to crap and it was zero. It hit the VWAP at 44. As soon as that news came, now it's at 73. Why? Because we said it. we like, oh, it's good enough to be in the mid cap uh-huh. 400. Let's ape all the institutions with tens and hundreds of billions. Let's ape into that. Yeah. They ape into it. Right. There's no difference. And they doubled it. So there's no difference. And the thing is- Bring this like, back, can- by the way. We were talking before the show, we were talking about Tesla. And you're like, Avi, what's the difference? Tesla, they were doing very well. They had great financials towards then and like still no one believed them, right? It was so long yeah. you were talking about this. Like that. That's a great point. I mean, like Tesla, like it was trading at one and a half or two times sales like a couple years ago. And then everyone wants to ape in when it's trading at 15, 20 times sales. Why? Because it got better to get better. But the people who were really, really smart were on it early and they made all the money. And then now people are like trading it for 20, 30 points. But that's how the world works. Like if you're the guy who's late to the innovation, you will pay up always. So you got to keep your eyes open for the next. And people are like, it's risky to jump into stuff early. Yeah. Risk is reward. And like, doesn't mean put all your money into it, but like you will not make the same kind of money buying the S&P 500 as you will doing all this other stuff. I was just going to say, it's like the inverse of zig zag when they zig is maybe the new phrase. Cause like what I was asking you is like the second that something's hot, it's no longer hot, right? Like that, that's how I view this in, in a sense, right? It's because the, the lions, I was like, that's pretty cool art, but I still don't understand it. I didn't understand the community well, behind it. And I still well, don't. That's the thing. There's like 25,000. So like, I'll give a perfect example of the lions. Like lions, I love the lion. I mean, I'm a big lion. You guys know. They're cool art. Lion. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I think the art is dope, but also what I like even more is that I mean, it depends on the project, but like pro- PFPs, like profile pics, which is what like punks and bored apes and these things are <laughs> lions of PFP and people hated the lions. They're like, Oh, you guys, I, I heard this thing today. They're like, you're the Jehovah witness. Cause like we show up on everyone's timeline. It's also because like there's 23, 25,000 people in their discord people. You go on the discord right now. You're, you're chatting yeah. 24. It's, it's because neat. it used to be a player of like one or 2% of everyone making all the moves. Now hundred percent of people have yeah. the tools to make the moves. So you're seeing market like, there are marketplaces that have like 50 people using it. Just communities getting built all over the world. And that's what Web3 is. Like, I haven't used Google since NOM. I won't ever again. Like, I use Brave. I use Web3. I get paid to go on the internet. Like, why? first of all, yeah. why would you not? Like, your Louis Vuitton bag will be on the chain. Like, your bag, your Louis bag will go on the chain. Well, your that's important because the, the people on Canal Street that are selling the fake Louis bags. Right. <laughs> like, sorry, buddy. And it's funny because, like, what is real? What is reality anymore? Dude, that's, this, that's like, we thing. are in the that's metaverse. The, we are already living like Twitter is a metaverse. You guys, you guys are in the metaverse. We're already like us talking every day on Twitter. All you guys is connections like FinTwit conference, all these cool things that FinTwit does. That is a DAO. That is a metaverse already. That's like true. we're doing, we're making cumulative movements and like people get canceled. People become like venerated. That is, that is our metaverse already. Right. Like, like, let's say like the guys who've like crushed the hardest, right? Like they're the rare PFPs, they're crushing it. So yeah. they assert more value. You buy their sub stack. This is how the world works. It's just like now we've 
put it all into some condensed form, which is just a JPEG. It's a vis- and I literally, the crazy thing, I wrote a thesis on this, on crypto, using Bitcoin saying visualization is what determines price movements. Is that and behind the seeing, paywall or can we just get that? Is there, is there a way to- honestly, There was a point where I was going to drop out of school and just do crypto stuff full time. Hashtag biggest regret of my life, single-handedly. But either way, we're going to make it. Like, I mean, this is so early. I, I think people don't comprehend like the amount of accounts on OpenSea versus the amount of Robinhood accounts is just a joke. People are not even able to understand like the Solana marketplace because like they don't get the okay. like Ethereum marketplace yet. And that's why we're here. We want to like explain this and like don't make yeah, it so like horrible. No, this, it's five I, steps. I am I'm gonna play devil's advocate with you and I want you to sell me on this. So like my rebuttal would be like, all right, pogs were fucking cool. They were great until slammers came out. Slammers used to slam the pogs. Then there was like the Tamagotchis, those were super cool. So there's Beanie trends, babies. right? Is Beanie this babies. a trend? Yeah. yeah, Beanie Babies. Here's my thought real quick, because I think this is important. This is the first time people are like, oh my God, it's so cool. Uh, blockchain, like, yeah, there's an applicable way to use this. this. That's how I view it. Like, this is the first time there's an applicable way to actually use the blockchain. And I guess angst against this is like, yeah, there's cool artists and the cool artists will win, in my opinion. Like people know Picasso, people know Rembrandt. They don't know random people, though. Right. So there's going to be 10 people that do well and the rest are fucked or no? No, no. Because the difference between Picasso's and Mona Lisa's, all this stuff, is that how many people can tangibly own that Mona Lisa or they can buy that Picasso? It's just like the 50 rich people slinging art back and forth for generate the 50 families slinging our back and forth for generations. Mm-hmm. This is where anyone can create the Picasso. And why? Why do we say that Pablo Picasso is so great? Why is Salvador Dali amazing? Why is Van Gogh, Monet, like Banksy? There, there is sure. everyone, everyone is Banksy today, right? Everyone is Banksy. All these anonymous people creating incredible art. Like Pac created a $225 million project with Lost Poets. By the way, I slammed that. Shout out to Zach French again. But $225 million sale of Blank pages, blank pages, blank gray pages that will be burned, which is what like they get destroyed and you get it an NFT back. Let's rewind that for a second because we were talking about this pre-show and I was like cracking up because I thought you were kidding. But blank pages, let's just pause for a second. Explain blank pages because I made a joke. I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy this dot for $4 million. It's going to be so sick. The sickest dot of all time. Like what happened? (laughs) Now you have blank pages. There's not even a dot. I love I love Pac because I mean, like Zach French told me all about like he tried to get me into these cubes. He was just selling a cube for five hundred bucks every day. It would go up five hundred yeah. bucks by the end. Those it was twenty five hundred. Those cubes are twenty grand a piece now. And so like that's the thing. It's like it's not about this is kind of about the art, but the project is more about understanding that value means nothing because it doesn't. It's yeah. just that like we assess it, we assert it is, and there's ways to create value when there is no value. And that is what I need people to like wrap their heads around. There's another world going on that it, you're saying that everyone's hyped up into blood. It's the first time we can use it. No, like I've been staking crypto for years. Like I've been doing stuff on blockchain for years. It's just, this is the first time everyone's like, oh, I kind of get it enough to buy a picture because it's five steps. You go on, you literally, you buy Ethereum on Coinbase or wherever you have your crypto brokerage, you download MetaMask, you save your seed phrase, write it down somewhere and put it somewhere that you have nowhere saved on your computer. Your seed phrase is 14 letters long. Then you send your Ethereum from Coinbase to MetaMask. And then from MetaMask, you log into OpenSea and you connect your MetaMask. And it's just a Google extension. I use Brave Browser, also a Brave Browser extension. And from there, that's it. It's 
people are like it's so hard to get NFTs. No, open is Amazon. It's like Craigslist. There's no difference. This is like people like they they're like, oh, I miss Tony pounding the table on stuff. Like bring it back to stocks. Like man, I made like 40, 50, 100 bags on stuff in the last like two months trading NFTs. Why would I talk about something that's going to move 20%? Like, yes, I'm still obviously very invested in stocks, but I, to your point, Avi, it's not going to be where everything goes to crap. Like, first of all, consider that when you buy ETH, it's with US dollars. So money will go from all these trillions and trillions and trillions of US dollars to crypto, which is only 2 trillion now. What happens when crypto gets to 50 trillion? And the only reason is because it literally takes US dollars for crypto. And then the money is now that US dollar doesn't like necessarily like exist. It becomes crypto. Like and as the valuation goes up, it, it becomes more and more. So there is a there is a case for crypto to flip dollars. But that requires obviously like maximum adoption. But I'm saying like that structure is built in. So thinking first of all, we are so early. There's two trillion in crypto. Most of it's Bitcoin and Ethereum. And then you think about all the other NFT projects that are coming out. It's not just a JPEG. Like Bored Apes are literally buying a clubhouse cabana in Miami, Avi, that you can only go to if you're a Bored Ape. It's like an Admiral's Club for American Airlines. So these things that are on the metaverse have to figure out how to work in real life. And they do. And that's why, like, first of all, like I hold Lazy Lions. I get rewards every month. I get paid just for holding my lion because I get portions of the trading volume. Because the creators make money when you transact these. Hold on. My brother's calling in right now. I feel like we should just randomly throw him on live and, and we can edit this out if it sucks. Hold on. We're actually recording a podcast live right now and you're on recording. We do have a brother. His name's Eli and he loves cartoons and he's got three kids. And so I'm very confused why he's spending money on cartoons. But Eli, Tony just talked for about 25 minutes about why it's actually valuable I like it because Tony likes it. Okay, that's (laughs) easy then. Thank you for calling, sir. (laughs) (laughs) I like it because I like the risk reward of this new community. I don't like what Tony likes. I don't like these top things that he thinks are going to keep going higher and higher. I like trying to find the special ones a little bit lower that might go higher sooner than later. But my question for you is, is Twitter stock going to rocket over all this? Yeah, we were just talking about how how, we think that's going to be a huge thing because- Twitter is going to be like, first of all, it, it's Twitter is the We're first live. metaverse to use crypto, right? Like because of Bitcoin tipping, it's an entire metaverse that pays itself. So the more value you provide, the more alpha you are, the more money you make. Like the more alpha you provide to people, the more money you'll make. And then those people will make more money for the people. And it's just that everything is a perpetual Ponzi. And that's just the world that we are in. That was really good. I appreciate it. Can I ask a quick question before you go? Yes, please. Your wife, what does she think about buying cartoons? She says, she says, hodl. Why are you selling so early? Hey, Tony, again, we kind of just like jumped in and no one even knew we were talking about crypto or NFTs or anything. It's like a stock podcast. People know us by. We are now the Get Money podcast because Tony's follows the money. It's a very fate loves irony world we live in right now. And it's yeah, just I felt like life's been a- fake the past like 12 months at least. But like, has it been fake or has it just become real? And we all are just aware because we've got enough time to reflect being like slowed down in COVID and being like, okay, now that we've exited, we don't want to go back to work at nine to five. We don't want to sit in a cubicle. We want to figure out how to use Web3. We want to be more connected with people because it was like COVID made us so unconnected from a lot of people. I mean, I connected with a lot of my like 
close family like more during COVID. Yeah. But there's a lot of people I disconnected with just because of COVID. And so now NFTs are the way to connect with people online because a lot of people probably will never go back, right? Like that's like like for that me, even like going bad, going out in the real world is still hard. Like and I think a lot of people, oh it's Tony's like, you know, he's good at whatever. Like, no man, like I'm a normal person. Like I hate going out as well. Like I'm a very introverted person. Going out these days in COVID makes me still angsty. It's yeah. not because of me. It's because of like who I can affect. Like you think about the externalities that everything happens that most people don't think about because a lot of people think about themselves. But the truth is that like you can get COVID and still give it to people. So it's like thinking about that and understanding that the whole world, it has become this change. Like we're decentralized now. Like we, we, we want to either connect with people more or we want to connect with people online more because it's still a natural human tendency to connect. Belonging is the biggest thing belong in fact this is it. it nfts hit maslow's pyramid right? like that's psychology you have a you have the need for community you have the need for esteem and you have like like it, it goes up to your ego right like you have like okay. a crypto punk you're a big man you have a board ape you're a freaking legend like Dang. this is why and and everyone's flipping into getting one of these things because so the truth is you can become that this is it's an even playing field there's not hundreds of institutions yet in this moving markets like you can move markets like we deciding that something's great will be what moves it right and like that's that's the thing about like I, I love about crypto is like and people are not doing this to like sell and flip and pump and stuff like they're generally like i like this community using that community gives the community value it's great that we've done such good things for the world but this is what america has very much wrong like you guys like, i've been to so many countries and every country has like this focus on like family and like being with other people i mean I, i'm a dual citizen like i know and I'm, I'm not just like shitting on, i love america i'm just saying that like it's a very idealistic like you're focused on yourself it's an individualistic society and that is why you know it's so great because we've all achieved so much and like we can all, all give to each other and this and that but the idea of there are there's a new wave of like this new generation is not the same generation that we all see in the lead right now like the people right now, I'm telling you, the people on Twitter spaces right now, like the guys like D's and Faroki, these guys ripping NFTs and like so deep in the space are revolutionizing the world. And like they will be the Elons and the CEOs of the FTX future. That, he's crushing. Right. SBF. He literally posted on Twitter. He's like, sell me all your Solana at three and fuck off. And like Solana is on. I mean, you can't you can't outwin against genius. Like it's you can't. And so everyone has the ability to showcase what they're good at in this. And I think that's, what's cool because the, the reason why the communities are cool is because it's not just the developers, the developers set the stage, right? Like they're like, okay, here's our operating system, right? Like use, use Gmail, whatever. Like that's the comparison you want to use in your head, like use Gmail, but what do you build on Gmail? Imagine Gmail was open source. What can you build? You can build merch. You can build, you know, like cool different ways that you can create, create value, like utility tokens, utility, you can do in-game stuff. Like, it's basically bridging finance with gaming and like this like visual acuity for art, like this enjoyment of art and cool things that you can, it's just your past. It's your path to that community. Yeah. Here's what I would say, right? We went from gold to cash. We went from cash to credit cards and we went from credit cards to crypto. Each time that happens, everyone's like, this is stupid. Yeah. Why do we do this? And then, I, then, I think then, this is like the last now, time. You say, hey, do you want to just walk around with like 50 pounds of gold or do you want to have Bitcoin? DraftKings dropped Tom Brady NFTs. Tom Brady NFTs give you all access season pass within the contract for all games for the Bucks. So like think just, that's how this works. Right. It's 
we are the ones building what they will become. There will be an, like, and, and like, if anyone has some sick NFT, NFT ideas, DM me, I'm trying to make moves. But like, <laughs> this is how this works. Like you will be putting everything that you have in a contract somewhere. Like your house is titled these. Right. You will, you will be doing that. It's a That's smart digital. It's an, this is like my, everyone's like, available to see. So this is going to be the future. I'll give you a good example right now. This is, and we can do this live. All right. You just downloaded phantom and I made you download it and you sent me your wallet. And I told you on the pod, I'm going to send you a contract online in a second. Okay. Because as a cow, like, cow and trank. A contract, yeah, but um, yeah, but I'm saying, like, imagine, like, think about how hard it is for you and I to, like, if we bought a house, my parents have been trying to sell a house for months, like, it's impossible to just sell stuff yeah. so easily, so easily because a physical goods take a lot of work to sell, but also you have to be in that location, in that place. So, like, if you want to buy a Louis Vuitton bag, unless you buy it online or whatever, you go to the store. You want to buy a house or like a car or a boat, you go to the dealership, you go to the like Marina, whatever Marina. <laughs> anyway, like you do those things, but now, now I can send you and like, I, I'm sending you a JPEG Solana Valley shouts, but I could send you anything. I could send you a, like a, a piece of like a blank page that mm -hmm. within it has unlockable content. That is the deed to my house. And I can just sell you my house in Ethereum. It's just the same as we're doing now. The like boomers are out. Stupid, Tony. Let's bring it back to stocks. I feel like half the people that are listening are like, stop talking about these cartoons. Let's just get over to Chris. So we're here live with Chris Peruna. Chris, if you could just give us a quick introduction as to who you are as a person, how you got kind of interested within the stock market, what you do on a day-to-day -day, uh, basis as well. Sure, sure. First of all, I say thank you for having me on the podcast. Love you guys. Got great accounts, great podcasts. So certainly looking forward to some of the questions and kind of jumping into it. So for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm at CPRUNA on Twitter. I mean, I primarily talk about some stocks on Twitter, but outside of the Twitter world, I focus on a lot of other stuff. Um, grew up in New York. I'm a father, a couple of kids, live out here in New Jersey. Um, I focus on real estate, my main my main part of my life. I mean, I was an architect coming out of college, practiced that for about seven years. And then I kind of did a little conversion in the industry itself. I went from architecture more into owner's rep project management. So I still work with architects and engineers and contractors on a daily basis, but I'm really focusing more on budget schedule and really being that representative for the client themselves. We work with a lot of Fortune 500 type companies, sometimes um, small and medium-sized businesses that are looking to either build new space or acquire a new space via a lease mostly in the New York tri-state region. So let's just take Manhattan, for example. So if you have a firm, say like a Microsoft or an Apple, and they're looking for new space, they'll hire a firm like ours to come in, help them build a design team, put a design together, go out to bid, get permits, and then ultimately manage the construction of the project and then move into that space. Uh, we'll work on projects anywhere from as small as 10 or 20,000 square feet up to several hundred thousand square feet. And on a dollar basis, that could be anything from um, say a couple hundred dollars a square foot to several hundred dollars a square foot into that space. So you're looking at anything from a $10 million to a hundred million dollar plus type project, mostly corporate interiors, but every once in a while, like in the past, I've worked with firms such as MetLife and Gartner, and we've built buildings out of the ground as well, both here in New Jersey and Florida and some other places around the country. And uh, so that's, that's where I mainly focus. And then from a stock perspective, I got involved in that back when I was younger, my father owned a couple of restaurants um, traded stocks during the day because he mostly worked nights and weekends. And uh, when I was about 14, 15 years old, I said, hey, you know, what are you doing? I'm interested. And just really got into just the graphs and the stuff in the newspapers. We didn't have the internet and we didn't <laughs> have social media and stuff like that. So 
I just started tracking some stocks with him just through the newspapers and kind of got into it. And then when I went into college, I asked him if I can open an account because E-Trade, TD Ameritrade, all that stuff started coming around at that point. Opened up an account. I went to college in 96. By 98, we were in basically the dot-com boom and, mm-hmm. and I was hooked ever since. You're aging yourself there, Chris. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Uh, so I know this is probably a different side of real estate. I believe they're actually more in the residential, but obviously the biggest thing going on right now in FinTwit and, and just financial markets at all uh, is Evergrade, of course, right? So I read a great thread. Yes. You were talking about that a little bit on Twitter. What actually happened sure. for those of you you know that do not know? Do you, you think China will interject and bail them out as well as do you think this will have any trickle down effect in the US markets? So it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I definitely don't know a lot about China. I know a lot of people, everyone jokes about it this week. Everyone's an expert on Chinese real estate this right. week. <laughs> what's going on. In, in general, from what I've read, and I've read a couple of those really good threads, is Evergrande, I guess they went out there and they took on a lot of debt. And, and most real estate companies take on a lot of debt to finance their expansion, what they're doing, whether to build in residential, to build a commercial, industrial, whatever it may be. You're going to take on debt, which is smart because as long as profits are coming in, you get your deposits, you're going to get that back. And then ultimately, whoever's coming in to buy that real estate, they're going to finance it through a bank and you get that debt off your balance sheet at that point in time. Um, so Evergrande for a number of years has been financed, kind of coming up with this debt, financing it with their purchases from their buyers. Um, I think what had happened is maybe through the, co- through the country of China, either borrowing has been shut down a little bit. So maybe that's slowing a little bit. And or some of the buyers have slowed down. So their, their profits and their revenue has actually kind of slowed down a little bit. So their debt has ballooned a lot larger than what they can handle with their daily uh, revenue from their cash flow. And that's kind of put, this, put them into this really bad position. So it's always that balance in a real estate company of how much debt can you really take on versus how much profit you're taking in. And you want to keep it somewhere even keeled. And you're always going to have a little bit more debt than you have revenue at any given time. But in their particular case, I think they got too far ahead of each other and mm-hmm. uh, ahead of themselves, I should say. And uh, now it's become a big problem. The second part of your question says, will that spill over to the US? I don't think directly. Where maybe it can potentially spill over indirectly is through the banks. Take a BlackRock, take a, a JP Morgan Chase, take some of these really large banks we have here in the US. Are they exposed to any of this debt? I mean, did they kind of <laughs> take on any of this debt with this Evergrande and kind of lend them some money that maybe now when these interest payments are coming due. And that's the problem with that debt. As that debt gets larger and larger, the interest payments get larger and larger. If you don't have the revenue to pay the interest payments, well, you got a big problem. You're going to default on, the, on that debt. So I think it only spills over to our country at this particular time if our large banks are really deep into debt with them. Lehman Brothers, I saw, was like a $600 billion default. Evergrande's mm-hmm. at $300 billion, which I think would be the second or third largest default of all time. It globally. So yep. we're not talking, we're not talking about a small default here. Now, I think mostly it's going to stay contained to China. I think maybe there's just some coincidences as far as our market being a little extended. Uh, breath mm-hmm. has been fairly weak in our market the last couple of months. And I think this is just a little catalyst that maybe some people wanted to raise some capital just in case something were to happen. And I think that's why we saw that dip yesterday. I mean, let's see what happens over the next few weeks. Um, I'm not too nervous about it, but certainly something I'm watching. That's why I kind of retweeted that information just to be careful and make sure it doesn't bleed into what we're doing over here in the U.S. As far as the CCP, I would imagine they'd probably come in and bail them out. I mean, our government bailed our banks out in 07, 08. I kind of looked through that. I was working in New York. I saw it. I saw the folks walking out of of Bear Stearns and Lehman and was kind of out there. And and I was in my late 20s at the time. And it, it was just nuts to see what was going on and see a bank that was 100 years old just gone like that overnight. And uh, I would imagine just to save face, CCP will come in, they'll help them. And I don't think they're going to let them default, but 
I mean, who knows? I'm not quite sure. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little bit different over there because so many of these big entities and these real estate developers and companies, they're state owned. We're here in the U S that's not the case. So it, it will be interesting to see what they do here. That sets a precedent. Definitely. And that's definitely spilled off into the markets a lot in the last few days. I mean, I think we're down, we were down 250 from the highs not long ago. So we had a question here from C Wilbs 88. Uh, wanted to know if you were thinking about starting any new long-term positions here in the current market, even though we came down a little bit, but we are still pretty close to all time highs. So I, it's something I'm thinking about myself, you know, it's like some, yep. some things might be in a, in a better spot than others and why. Right. So the one, one indicator, that I look at, and it's more of a long-term macro indicator, is the percentage of stocks that are trading above or below their 200-day moving average. So that's one I've been focused on a lot in the last several months. And, I, and I've been posting that up either on my blog or on Twitter for the last 10 to 15 years. Right now, I think as of yesterday, it was about 34% and change, number of stocks in the NASDAQ that are above the 200-day moving average. When that drops below 25%, um, you're, you're starting to get into that accumulation zone from a long-term perspective, which is like, all right, start putting some money to work based on your uh, high quality stocks, things that are on your watch list that you've either wanted to buy, or you want to add to. If it gets below 15%, that only happens maybe three or four times every decade. And that's usually a sign of A, the market's in some trouble, but B, start to back up the truck because if you buy into those positions, you hold them for a couple of years, you're going to make some nice money. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not guaranteed, but it's, it's probably one of the closest things to a guarantee where you make some money. So if you go back to the COVID crash, it happened. If you go back to late 2018, when we had that little bit of a growth stock crash, it happened. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you go back a little bit further, if you go back to 07, 08, it happened. It happened in 2000, 2001. I mean, and, and you look at these instances, that's when it was, hey, if you just bought anything, I mean, you could have bought Apple, you could have bought Amazon, you could have bought Ford. I mean, you basically could have bought almost anything when it dropped that low, especially below 15%. And you're going to make money within the next 12 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. So to answer the question, yes, I always have stocks on my watch list that I'm looking to buy. Um, there's also stocks that I own my portfolio. Maybe I want to increase the allocation. I'll do that as well. So it's two things. I'm looking at the market in general, but I'm also looking individually. How are my stocks acting and where are they in relation to that 200-day mm-hmm. movement average? If they're coming back down to it, do I want to start to accumulate? If they're already below it, obviously that's already a red flag, but can they actually recover it? And do I want to add to that position at that point? Yeah, I love the uh, conversation there on mean reversion. I mean, that's such a big thing in the markets these days. You see so many things get so extended, come back down to their anchored VWAPs. And then just right. sometimes they'll go under it and everyone gets stopped out and they'll come right back up. So yes. definitely that tight balancing act that we're always playing. And it's interesting. It's interesting what you say as far as kind of everyone gets stopped out. When I hold certain positions, I used to have physical stops and we're going back well over 10 years ago because mm-hmm. I felt like I've gotten screwed so many times by doing that yeah. and holding positions that are longer term. I don't keep physical stops anymore. The only time I may put one on is if I'm going on vacation. I just know I can't be near a phone or computer and I can't get out if something bad were to happen. Maybe I'll throw it in there, but I don't like getting stopped out intraday. I only see the stock bounce back completely. I'm like, son of a guy. I mean, I dropped down five, six, seven percent. I'm out. The stock's actually up two percent of the day now. Right. So <laughs> that actually, just from experience, that's happened to me before. So I don't do that. So I have mental stops and back there, maybe I will start to get nervous and maybe get out of a stock, but I don't put those physical stops in just because of what you just said. Yep. All right. Yeah. And invest in gems. That's the question that you pretty much just answered. So I want to quickly shout them out, but uh, I'll interject with my own question. But, you know, in terms of you having kids, you have a day job, you know, you're also trading and, and investing long term. Like, how do you go about your day in terms of managing that time? Some people say this is bad. When I wake up, I normally jump on Twitter first before anything. <laughs> I look I look at that, just see what's going on, see if there's any news that's out there, something I should just be aware of as I kind of start my day. I know some people are like, don't go on your phone the minute you wake up. I'm the opposite. I go on my phone. I'm not, not, 
I'm not ashamed to say that. And it's just, it's Same. where I get my news. You know, back in the day, my parents would open the newspaper first thing in the morning. I just, I opened Twitter. That's my newspaper. That's my news source. Um, from there, we get the kids off the school. I mean, I really work during the day and my job is somewhat flexible because it's not, it's more of a sprint type job. I'm not really sitting behind a computer and just kind of cranking stuff out from an administrative standpoint. There's some days where I'm in the field decline all day long. There's other days where maybe I'm just doing some back of house stuff. So I have some time check in on the phone, check in on Twitter, see what's going on. And if I need to make a move or I want to do something, I'll, I'll get alerts. If I'm looking at a certain stock that I want to get into, I'll have alerts come right from my trading account and it'll ping mm -hmm. me and I'll say, okay, do I want to go buy it right now? Do I not want to buy it? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I even just put the buy in and it just automatically happens. Um, so I'll work throughout most of the day. And then I'm really more interested in after day data. So once the market closes, that's the data I'm most interested in. Mm -hmm. So I use MarketSmith through um, uh, Investors Business Daily. They own it. And I'll get a lot of my information, my screens, my data from there. And I'll look at it at night. So I, I usually do like a nightly routine. And uh, there are a couple nights I'll miss. I mean, my, my daughter's on travel softball. My son's playing football. So I've got practices and games and other stuff I have to go to. So there's certainly nights I don't do it. But if I don't do it during the week, I definitely do it during the weekend where I'll spend a couple hours just kind of go through my charts, go through my screens, and just see what I'm trying to look at as far as where's the market at and where are the individual stocks at. Do I want to buy? Do I want to sell? I mean, do I want to raise cash levels? Whatever it may be. And I kind of approach it from that uh, perspective, Abby. Yeah. And I didn't just I, I threw this question up here as well from uh, L. Piton. Uh, 6969 saying, Hey, can we hear about your other accounts? So I thought this was a good next mm -hmm. question, right? I'm assuming those are in your trading account that you're talking about moving in and yep. out of, but you mentioned you have an IRA, of course, you have a, a, a other accounts that are more like FANG yep. stocks. So you could just touch on those a little bit and how you manage those differently, of course. Definitely. So primarily I speak about the growth account on Twitter. I think just because it generates the most activity. And, and I've said this sure. before, when you're on Twitter, you're looking for activity, you're looking for likes and comments and follows and all that kind of stuff. And and those seem to be the stocks that are always in play. So I've noticed over the last four or five years, that's what people want to talk about. With that said, I think some people have been interested because I, I did a big presentation earlier this year online, and it was more about um, how do you trade while working full time? And, and part of that is, is I'm not really trading, I'm invested. So I have an IRA account, which is mostly filled with the FANG stocks. It's filled with stocks such as like Target, Procter & Gamble, J&J. &J. Some of them are dividend paying stocks, but I don't really base that account on that. I, I, I base the IRA on roughly 20 holdings or so. I've got 21 right now, but 20 holdings usually in general. And I'm usually adding to those positions or every once in a while, I'll drop a position that's just underperforming and then I'll get a, I'll, I'll bring a new position in. For example, a couple of years ago, um, I had coach and, and another position and I didn't have Microsoft in the account. So I'm like, I'm getting rid of those coach positions, mm -hmm. positions I thought were great maybe six, seven years ago. And I'm going to buy some Microsoft. So I basically put stocks in that account that I'm just going to hold for the most part. Now it's not hold forever, but maybe it's hold for three years, five years, eight years, whatever it may be. And I'm just trying to generate the cumulative returns from those stocks in that account. So I have a growth account. I've got the IRA account with those stocks. Each of my children have an index fund that we bought for them. So it's owned in my name, my wife's name, but when they were born, one was born in 09, one was in 13. We both bought them two different index funds, mostly tracking the S&P and kind of that's just funds for them when they graduate college. And we'll just hand that over to them at that point. Hmm. And then um, we own some company stocks. That's companies that we work for that we just own stock, sometimes allocated to us. We have discounts we can buy that stock at. And of course, we have the uh, 401ks. Um, and then lastly is the crypto account. Um, that's something I really started back in 2019, and it was primarily buying Bitcoin. Since then, I've added Ethereum, um, Cardano. I've done some trading with Filecoin. And then a couple, we were talking about this a little bit before we kind of got on the air here, but Solana and some other uh, potential coins that are out there, maybe even getting some of these DeFi projects going forward. I don't quite know enough about DeFi yet, but I'm, I'm 
super interested in it and I want to learn a little bit more about it and certainly get invested in it as well. I think it has a big future going forward. Yeah. Quick, quick, quick question. And then uh, Tony, I know you have a few more as well, but um, in terms of like sizing those, right? So if your trading account gets out of hand, I know we often talk about like trimming your, the bonsai. Do you ever shift, right. you know, money from your trading account if it gets very high to, you know, a safer account? No, so people always ask me, why is my IRA, which is a, 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 a tax protected type account, more of my sit and hold? And that's just to let it grow tax deferred. My trading account is actually after tax dollars. So that's my TD Ameritrade account. Um, when certain positions get above a certain position size, I trim them back. So for example, this year, Square, Roku, Pinterest, I've trimmed all those positions. So when they grew, so if they grew anywhere from, say, I started the allocation between a 5 and a 7% position size, and they grew to 10, 12, 14%, I trim them back. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll trim them back even if they're not that large, but if I feel like maybe something's coming up where they might start to fall. And I think that was the case with Roku and Pinterest a few months ago is I just felt like they were starting to churn a little bit and maybe they're going to mm-hmm. drop. So I actually just I pulled a few percent off each of those. So I take the dollars out of the trading account and I'll put that elsewhere if I need it um, for use just in regular day life. Um, as far as the IRA and, and, and the 401ks and the index funds, I don't touch that money. That money just stays there, continues to grow. But the trading account is anything if I need to finance something and I want to take some funds out of it if it grows over time, that's the account I'll take the money out of. Now, with that said, I try not to touch it. I try to let that money continue to grow over time. And I work full-time. My wife works full-time. We have income. So I try to take that income and that goes into any other investments that we're trying to do outside of the stock market. So we also own some real estate uh, separate, like residential property on the side. That comes from our income there. And I'm trying to build more of a passive income stream from that as well. Very cool. Yeah, there's definitely a crypto dip going on right now as well. So it's oh, yeah. uh, keeping that fresh powder on the side. It's very important when uh, opportunities like this arise. So uh, I'm definitely eyeing some, you know, Ethereum and Solana and some of those other coins myself. Um, so a lot of interesting projects going on in the NFT space right now, where some of these NFTs are now like utilizing different different parts of DeFi to give like utility tokens out to people that become more valuable over time. Like either as the project does better or as the value of those NFTs go up and stuff. So very interesting to see like where that's going to go. I'd love to see, uh, you know, maybe some something goes public through respect that's very like involved in, in crypto or anything like that. Uh, wanted to touch on also, uh, you know, companies like TDOX and apps, you know, I know the markets, you know, it was near the highs and now it's a little lower now. Um, but TDOX and apps have mm-hmm. been down for quite a little while now. And there's a bunch of other names that are in that same kind of, we rallied super hard end of the year, we, you know, we kind of sold off in February, March. So what do you think about those? And have you thought that maybe those are possibly bottoming? Could we get like a small cap rally maybe into the end of the year, into next year? Right. I think it's potential. I, I think if you looked at the action with FANG stocks today, they were down a little bit. We interested to see if any money is going to start to cycle out of the FANG stocks here towards the end of the year. And, and a pivotal month is usually October. October is usually a month that kind of starts a lot of these growth stocks, small cap stock rallies coming out of a, a bad September month. So I'll be really interested to see in the next 30 days or so what happens between growth stocks and and uh, some of these smaller caps uh, and some of these larger cap, maybe FANG type stocks. Um, from a TDOC perspective, I, I've owned TDOC since the Livongo days. Now I bought TDOC separately, but I bought Livongo around 28, sold the, just shy of about 130, uh, rode that to some large gains. And then, uh, oh, look at that. We're looking at uh, <laughs> some plugs there. Um, TDOC's obviously getting beat up over the last six months or so. I mean, the stock went all the way up to 308 early this year. And uh, now we're trading down near 138 or so. It's, it's gone down as far as I think about 128. I think it might, might have been the low point. Um, it's had a tremendous amount of downward pressure over the last six months. 
has not been a great stock to kind of just sit your money in. My money is definitely sitting in it. I like the story mm-hmm. long-term. Part of the reason I like the story is because I do a lot of work with healthcare systems in my day-to-day job, and that's in the real estate sector. And one of the things I saw last year when we were designing the hospital is they converted a number of patient rooms into telemedicine, telehealth rooms, not because of COVID. Now, this is a hospital that's not even finished building yet. It's not going to finish till next year. But they said the future is going to be in every single department in the hospital, they're going to have telehealth connections with their patients. So I'm not going to say TDOC's going to be the winner. I don't know if mm-hmm. they'll be the leader going forward, but telehealth is here to stay and it's only going to expand going forward. And it's not just a pandemic technology and it's whole body care that you can do here in the United States. But if you start going to other countries around the world, second and third world countries, they don't have access to the type of healthcare we have. So they're going to need this virtual type healthcare. And I think all insurance companies and all medical health providers are going to have some type of telepresence. And I think Teledoc right now is the leader in that space, put stock price aside, but just from a company perspective, they're the leader. Can they make a rebound? I do think they'll make a rebound. Um, they've got a lot of overhead resistance to kind of go up against as they start to move above. So I think I felt in the last couple of weeks that the downside pressures are starting to alleviate a little bit. We might be bottoming here in this 130 to 135 range. We'll see if they can start to build that base and start to recover some of the smaller moving averages, eventually recover the 50-day, and then hopefully eventually recover that 200-day. But again, there's a lot of folks that bought at 170, 180, 200, 220. They're all going to want to sell at even, or many of them yep. going to want to sell at even and, and break out. So as, as, as you and I were talking a little bit before the show, is there's, there's a lot of shelf volume up there that this stock has a lot of overhead resistance. It's going to have to uh, break through at some point. They're going to need some blowout earnings to really kind of break mm-hmm. through that. The integration with Livongo has not gone well so far from what I've just seen on, on the conference calls, the earnings calls each quarter. Um, they bought that company for $18 billion. The company overall combined is worth about $21, $22 billion right now. So they're pretty close to what they bought that company at. Now, I know the company was valued maybe about $40, $45 billion when it hit its peak earlier this year. Um, they've got to really integrate Livongo much better and, and break into those other revenue streams. If they fail to do that, the company will fail overall from a stock perspective. But I'm going to give them another quarter to see what happens, unless ultimately the stock just really breaks down. Now, if the market tanks and the bottom drops, yeah. I could definitely see the stock drop in 23%, no problem, uh, which will which will be an issue. Now, if the market doesn't tank, I think over the next six to 12 months, TDOC will make a, a rebound here slowly, but I think it will rebound. And I think ultimately it will start trading back above 200 in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really as far as apps... Yeah, apps, apps is a little bit. Yeah, apps is a little bit different. I asked about that one as well. I got into that one more recently. I actually got into that one as it dropped, so I didn't own it after it kind of made its push up towards a hundred. Um, mm-hmm. I actually put it back as it was coming back down to the sixties, um, and we seem to be hanging anywhere between fifty and seventy now. Um, I think it's got good potential to kind of make that run above hundred in the future again. Timeline, I have no idea. I own it. I feel safe in it. Um, I'm more worried about a, a stock like Path, UiPath, and and, mm-hmm. and that one just based on the valuation and and what is the upside and the markets can go into. But I own both of them. But I feel a little bit more secure in apps right now. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I guess we'll find out. It's super interesting what you were saying about healthcare. Obviously, one of the most disjointed industries I'd say out there. And so seeing the transition, obviously with TDOC and telehealth, obviously from COVID is interesting, and even seeing and I'm. Tony won't let me talk about share care until it's over 10, but seeing things like that <laughs> of, of care links, you know, or like literally people going into their homes and then 
giving back data on the medicine that they took or, you know, right. foods in the, in the refrigerator, for instance. So kind of on that same light here, I saw a tweet back maybe a week or two ago, uh, you were talking about ARCG. I think it was at eight, right under 84. It's about 8130. Mm-hmm. It looked like today. You mentioned it was building an eight month base. And we were talking about towards the end after September, a lot of these growth stocks ran right into, yes. I think it was mid February is when everything started kind of crashing down. Yep. But what are your thoughts on ArcG? Is that one that you don't want to pick a winner individually from Bios? So, and Kathy, we trust here. Or what it, do you think it, that, that, that was the approach. I think um, just knowing I'm an architect and I work in the design construction field, mm-hmm. I don't know genomics. I'm not a, a biologist, chemist, scientist, or anything of that sort. I mean, ultimately, I think we're all educated and read about it. Um, when I kind of went through ArcG and looked at all the companies, and there's, there's a handful of them I like. I mean, there's probably five to 10 of them I really like. And I started to buy, uh, like Invite was one I bought. Um, mm-hmm. I obviously own Teladoc, which is, isn't quite a, a genomics type company, but- uh, Yeah, it's I, interesting that they have it such a large position in there, but- Yeah, yeah which is it's very interesting because it's not. I actually even noticed, I think Palantir was in, in, in the ArcG. Um, they they are doing, mistake. I, think, I think they might be doing stuff with genomics soon because I know NVIDIA was discussing doing uh, some AI involved with genomics. So could be that yeah. reason. But- uh, FLGT, I mean, I, I think Twist, uh, Beam, I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of CRISPR, there's a lot of different ones that are just really interesting to me. So yeah, to answer your question, Abby, I, I basically just said, you know what, in Kathy, I trust right now so I can learn more about the individual ones. I think the big money is really in the individual ones. I mean, if you can start to pick out a couple of individual ones that are going to lead over the next 10 years, that's where the big money is going to be made. Um, one of the ones where I kind of took a flyer on early this year was SEMA4. And I know, Tony, you're big into that one as <laughs> yeah. well. I still own it. And that's another really frustrating one in my account right now. Me too. Last I checked, it's below $9 a share. And uh, it just it just can't seem to kind of gain traction at this point. But when you break down each of those revenue brackets and those verticals that could potentially get into, there is big side up, upside potential there. It's just they haven't seen it through yet. So I'm going to be patient. I'm going to give another quarter or two to see what happens. But at some point, I might get a little frustrated and just be like, all right, I'm out of this one. But yeah, um, I, I understand too. I, I'm actually waiting for, I think, 2023. Like if they're that's probably my deadline for it as well. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I strongly believe in the company. I think Airshout's definitely moving towards the right thing. They're they're focusing a lot on volume. You know, they had eighty five percent increase in their volume yeah, uh, right. over quarter. So they're I think they're moving towards getting enough fix in that like small system of the five to ten partners, yeah. and then so they can start rolling it out on like a bigger scale once you get enough data pieces. But uh, I think a lot of people sold it off in the last earnings, and a lot of those losses on the the liability standpoint were just their SPAC transaction. And and people sometimes have a difficulty discerning those two as well. Yeah, it is. And I think ultimately when you're, whether you're trading, you're investing, if you position size well within your portfolio, you could sit there. I mean, me personally, I'm not a trader. I could sit there and I can sit in a position like that. And it's not going to hurt the overall cap or the overall um, uh, percentage gains or losses in the account because one one particular position is just down and it's not going anywhere over a six or 12 month period. So I'm doing the same thing. I'm going to give it some time. I didn't buy that one until uh, I guess it was February this year. I actually, I remember tweeting it out. I was on a mountain, I was skiing and we came down mid mountain up in Stratton in Vermont and literally I was sitting there having a beer and I'm like, you know what? Oh, it dropped below 20. And this is before mm-hmm. it actually converted to, to its latest ticker symbol. I'm like, I'm going to buy it right now. And then it dropped down all the way down to 13 again. And I voted mm-hmm. again at 13, kind of just to lower my cost basis. And then here we are sitting at sub nine and uh, we'll see where it goes. But I still have some faith that it has potential as well. So going back to the whole genomics play, there's definitely a number of, of stocks in there that certainly I think can go 10 or 20X over the next five or 10 years in that particular industry. It's just, which ones are they? So I want to own Archie. I own it in the IRA. That's where I bought it. 
And then I think in the individual growth account, I'll continue to look at and potentially buy other genomics plays as we kind of move mm -hmm. forward here. Yeah, I think they'll start to separate and you'll start to see, you know, the cream that separates from, from the, the rest of everything because, right. you know, Kathy's got a good team of analysts in there and, and digging through everything daily. So I agree. I'm, I'm very similar to you where maybe it is just right to just let Kathy run things and pick a few on your own so you can uh, have your rah-rah moment, if you will. <laughs> um, just to kind of wrap things up. So you have an awesome website. If you guys have not checked it out, I believe it's just chrisperuna.com. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Chrisperuna.com. Two R's. Yep. And you, you always share your list of stocks that you like and you have great write-ups. So some of the stocks you had mentioned, uh, TDoc, uh, Pinterest, CrowdStrike, Fastly, Datadog, Roku, Zoom. I think right before this, you mentioned uh, Fastly is no longer on your list, but for those other ones, are, are you still very bullish on those? Anything taking the place of Fastly? Any stocks that you're looking to watch this year? Yeah, so Fastly, what I did is I actually bought Fastly before I bought Net um, at the time. And then I eventually bought Net and said, okay, if I'm going to look at edge computing, I'm, I should might as well own the two leaders at that time. So I bought both of them. And then as time went on, stock price was dictating which one was really becoming the leader. So I doubled down on Net, held Fastly. And I, same thing, I was giving it a couple different quarters. It was disappointing. Next quarter, disappointing. And finally, after like three quarters in a row, it just kept disappointing me. I was like, you know what? I'm going to cut it and get rid of it. That was now over 30 days ago. So one of the things I'm thinking about fastly is maybe I'll just buy some long-term call options and maybe mm -hmm. just kind of sit in that. So it's low money up front. I do think fastly, if they can get their management team straight, I think it's a, it's got great technology and it's a good company. Um, there's potential there. So from a stock holding, it's gone, it's out. I took my loss and I did take a loss on the stock and, and we'll see where it goes. Now, the interesting thing is when I bought fastly, I remember it was up about 40% after I bought it. So mm -hmm. not only did I lose that 40% gain, I, I actually took a loss in the stock. And that happens sometimes. Happens. I'm more of a long-term trend trader. I'm not a swing trader. I mean, maybe I did that when I was younger and I'm not a day-to-day -day trader. So it's one of those things, look at look at Datadog, look at Net, look at Unity. I mean, these are stocks that are all down 10, 20% on me as well. And now they're all up 30, 40, 50%. So you, you just got to ride it if you truly believe in the company, have conviction in that stock. Um, Zoom. Zoom's down right now from where it was. I think long-term, it still has a lot of potential. I think it's one of those large companies that can get into other areas and it might surprise yep. us over time. You look at Facebook, go back seven years ago, five, six years ago in Facebook. And I think some of the things they're getting to now, people just really couldn't envision what they were going to do going forward. They just thought of Facebook, oh, social media, talk to your family, talk to your friends, some advertising, no big deal. But yeah. Facebook is a lot more than that. I think Zoom can become a lot more than what people think it is. So I do still like Zoom. Uh, a couple of the other names you mentioned, I still own them all. Um, some higher conviction than others, but we'll, we'll see as it goes forward. I mean, if I, I start to lose some of that conviction, I'll cut them and then go into some new plays. I think one of the one of the challenges I have in my growth account is, and I say this over and over again, I just can't seem to get it down at this point. I'm better off having maybe 10 to 12 positions, but I've been closer to 15 to 16 for most of the last mm -hmm. year. And part of it is I just feel like I need to own a whole bunch of them. Right. But the other part is when you diversify like that, you're not really focused on your main conviction stocks. And if they do run, you don't make the bigger profits at that point. So it's kind of that give and take. And I still would like to kind of, I'm at 16 as of today. I'd like to drop that down to 10 to 12. And I'm still kind of working on which ones will get cut. What about uh, any any uh, secret Chris Peruna stocks that that you're, you got up your sleeve for this year that not many people talk about right now? No, I, I you know, I do a list every year at the beginning of the year. And that's that's a, typically my yep. one blog post nowadays. I used to post a lot more on my blog when I was younger and pre-kids and I had some time. And yeah. <laughs> and in past years, I tried to come up with a couple of names that people didn't know about. With social media, it's really tough. But uh, <laughs> last year, I took the easy route out, I mean, in 2021. And I kind of just went with a lot of the known names and said, okay, I think a lot of them are extended right now. A lot of them are going to pull back, which a lot of them did. But I think over the long term, they'll be fine. And I'm talking one to three to four years. 
Um, going into the next year, we'll see. I think as you come to these new industries, you got AI, you got genomics, um, you got a lot of really cool industries coming up, a lot of new type industries with new companies and, and new technologies. I don't have one for this potential podcast right now, but hopefully as we yeah. kind of come to the end of the year, we'll get a couple of those and uh, we'll get them out there. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have you back on it to go over them. Uh, we'll, we'll just go by them one by one. Definitely. Your, your lists are pretty incredible every year. I always like go back and see, wow. Like when uh, Mercado Libre was, what was it, like 12 oh, or 20 yeah. bucks or something? Like, yeah, God, like 20, you got 20. in some beauties, very cheap. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a few. And there's there's a few I've got in cheap and I've sold out. And then I look back and I'm like, shit, it went, it went 15 or 20x <laughs> since I sold. It's like, so that's, that's also some of the reason. Because if you look at, if you look at Melly, that stock probably yeah. had a drawdown maybe 10 or 12 times of at least 30%. At so least. if you really think about it over a decade, yeah, and some of those drawdowns were 50 or 60%. <laughs> so if you look at a TDOC right now, and you're like, all right, the drawdown is huge. Okay, but some of these big winners that are up thousands of percent over a decade, they had major draw, uh, pullbacks. And everyone is so quick and instant on, on Twitter and social media these days. It's like, oh, you got to get out of the stock. It's falling apart. Yeah. No, your <laughs> Apples, panic. your Amazons, your Netflix. All your big time stocks, they all had these big drawdowns as well. It's just people that haven't been trading for 20 years don't realize that, hey, there were panics back then as well. So sometimes you just got to stick with the stock when it goes down 20, 30%. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine if we had a 10% drawdown from here? I feel like Twitter would, would lose its mind right now. It, it, we, we've more. barely so, ever seen a drop in, in the last six months. So here's the amazing thing. If you look at the last 12 years, we haven't seen much of a drop coming out of that 09 um, once we started to break out. I mean, we've had a couple. I mean, 15, 16 were a little slow. We had 18. We had the COVID thing, but they all snapped back so quickly. When I came out of college, I graduated 2001 and I was trading from 98 through 2001. But when I came out, that was a three. If you really go back and study that NASDAQ or, or Dow chart from, from the peak in 2000 to the low in 2003, for two and a half years, that market just went down, 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 down. It just would not go up for two years. I, I seriously think some people on, uh, on Twitter would go literally insane if we went through yeah, that again. Yeah. Now, with that said, we will go through that again. Now, whether it's now or 20 years from now, I don't know, but we will go through another long, drawn out 18 month plus uh, uh, pullback. It's just, yeah. it, it's coming at some point. I hate it, well, but yeah, I mean, we just said to turn the puts. I think it's a super interesting point though, right? Because like you, you've lived in, and have been investing through a few of those downturns. Like you're mentioning, half the people that are on FinTwit right now only know that stocks go up, right? And so right, there is right. there is that uh, realization that stocks sometimes do go down, and there may be you know a five year period where they go down for right, and and then those people that started yeah. in the start of that downturn, they hate investing, right? Because they had five yeah. years, nothing, their money did nothing, right? And so it's something exactly. really interesting to start thinking about. Uh, you know, we've been very fortunate, I think the past few years with investing. And I think it's something to always keep an eye out and make sure that you do have cash, make sure that you do have hedge positions if you're, if you're really yeah. loaded in one specific spot. So I think that's true. And I think my biggest lesson, so I'm in my forties now, but my biggest lesson I've learned is when you have one of these big, big catalyst events. So Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, 9-11, COVID, you just got to have the gut us to jump in and back yeah. up the truck and just load up. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and it's always hindsight. Oh yeah. In hindsight, you said that, but go back to the indicator I said earlier about the percentage of stocks above the 200 day moving average. If you go back on my tweet stream, I started loading up on a bunch of stocks in the middle of March last year it's because all the indicators were saying we were so exhausted from selling. There was nowhere else to go, but up at that point. <laughs> and yes, 2001, 2002 is a little bit different because we were so exhausted then. And it just kept going and going and going, but ultimately in the long term. You have these big events and they don't come along very often. Like you said, only a couple of times, a few times a decade. That's when you want to buy. I mean, you can buy all different times, even when we're going into new high territory. But 
those are the times you really want to buy your highest conviction stocks. And those are the times you want to put the most money to work because ultimately right. that's where you're really going to build some wealth. And that's, that's my biggest lesson now. So when I look at my age now to go from 40 to 60, I'm like, when these events happen in the next 20 years, I, I have the funds now. Now's the time to load up. So when I'm sitting there at 60, I'm not regretting it because I didn't do it when I was 25 and, and 31. But now in the last five years, I've started to do it. I'm like, holy shit, it's really starting to pay off now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it just compounds and compounds. Yeah. Exactly. So. And, and that's, and it's the toughest time you're ever going to buy mentally in your head. When your stomach hurts. Yeah. When you're like about to cry and your stomach hurts is when you buy. I, I, I did that you, you, literally during March last year. I was like, oh, this is just the shittiest thing of all time. And he has like buy. something that comes over him, though. He's yeah. like, I feel sick. <laughs> yeah. Something's happening. Like he's got the I, yeah, I literally get, I get I get I get like sick to my stomach sometimes. And I think the market's going to turn really hard. It's like it's happened a few times on here. I've always yeah. called it Tony, Tony Tops. But, you you yeah. know, Avi, it's just. Everything's too quiet. Things are extended. There's like the put premiums are too cheap. So like I don't yeah, know yeah. stuff. Stuff starts to happen, and you get really skittish. And 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 I don't like being skittish because I know it could. If it starts, it's like what Sam said. It's a five percent or it's a twenty percent kind of thing. And right, right now it's our it's already a five percent I think thing. The last thing, quick, and then we'll let you go because I know uh, my wife is looking at me to get some dinner going here. But <laughs> um, just in terms of the end of the year, right? You know, we're kind of almost actually done here. We got another week or so left of September. What are your thoughts here for the end of the year? Do you think we we do drop ten percent and and we won't hold you to this, obviously? But what is your <laughs> feeling here for the end of the year? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm not want to make a prediction. I kind of just follow what the market's doing. But the the breath still concerns me. I mean, the underlying breath. If you look under the hood, the breath is still very weak. And when mm -hmm. I say that, it's it's new highs, new lows, um, percentage of stocks above major moving averages. It's just really weak. And there is a divergence between the NASDAQ and where that breath is. Now, the NASDAQ is starting to come down this week now. So maybe it's going to start to kind of go in tune. The question becomes, can the FANG stocks, can the big stocks hold up the indexes? I've always said, when you have a divergence like that and growth is going down, but the market's going up, one has to revert. So either the market's going to follow right. growth down or growth's going to come back up. Um, my gut was telling me all along that we were going to have a nice 10, 15% drawdown here in September and October. Maybe this is the start of it. I don't. No, I certainly don't know if this is the case. Let's see what happens over in China. And let's see if, if the rest of the world catches a cold. It used to be if America gets sick, the rest of the world catches a cold. But China's okay. just as big now. And yep. if they get sick, I think the rest of the world can catch a cold. So I think there's potential where we could fall down a little bit further here. I mean, does that mean another 5%, 10%? I don't know. Um, and then usually historically, again, this is not a prediction, but once you have that drop, it, it ironically always happens September and October. Mm. Once it bottoms from October to the end of the year, you usually rally. So if we do have this drop, I do think we will rally into the end of the year at that point. If we don't have the drop, I don't know. Maybe we'll just continue going going that kind of sideways. We'll yeah. All of 2021, which is just two, 18 months. Right. Yeah. We'll just, yeah, we'll just do it for 18 months, like in 2001. And all of us will lose our minds on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's frustrating, um, yeah. but it's, it's, it, it is, it is one of those years. I mean, I think all of us coming off 2020, which was just an incredible year right. for people that yeah. were, were investing or trading and, uh, it, it, it far exceeded anything I thought it would ever do, especially in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, oh, I, just, yeah. I never expected it. And my cash levels were higher than they probably should have been the entire time because I kept mm -hmm. thinking the other shoe was going to drop and it never did in 2020. It's, it's always the opposite, right? And then you get the FOMO and then everyone jumps in right as at the top. So it happens over yep. and over again. But uh, really appreciate you coming on, Chris. Always a pleasure. Really good to talk to you again. And, and hopefully we can bring you on here in another few months or so. So that Yeah, awesome. you guys. You guys are doing great work, both of you. Both your accounts, the podcast, show everything. So just keep it up, guys. I think everybody loves Thanks, it. And certainly I'll be watching it.
Every night I flex, I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. I'm making big moves. That's a big move. Big money, big moves. That's a big move. Yeah. Make a play, don't talk about it. Master P, I'm about it, about it. This one here for all that try to count me out and they still counting. Honestly, I never doubt it. Say the top is never crowded. Well, I'm trying to climb the mountain till I need a few accountants. Sock is rising, perfect timing. I'm in Brickle with the tribe. Shawty sliding, she wants sushi, she wants eel sauce with the rice. I just peel off with the light, took her heels off.